We're going to be uh, continuing our series through Galatians. So we've been journeying through every single verse, every single chapter uh, of Galatians, and we've now reached Galatians 4, and we're looking at verse 21. So in Galatians, Paul is writing to a group of believers who are struggling to live the life and the freedom that Jesus has given them. So instead, they are being held back, and in a way, they're being wooed by these group of people that are known as the Judaizers. Uh, So these Judaizers, they insist that the law, the law that was given to Moses is the way and uh, works. So by their doing, by doing stuff, that's that's how they meet with God. That's how they connect with God. That's what will save you. That's what that group of people are very intent in in getting out to the people of Galatia. It's your doing that will set you free. But Paul says it's by grace. It's by grace. And it's not that the law is useless, but it acts as a road marking in the journey to unpacking and understanding and accepting God's grace on our lives. That we don't need to do anything. Every single one of us, we don't need to do anything to earn God's grace this morning. And that is massive to, to begin to live out of that and to understand that. So we're going to be reading Galatians 4.21. And before we do that, I just want to give a little bit of context uh, and an intro of, of what we'll be looking at. So Paul in this passage, this passage that we're reading, he focuses on an event which unfolded way back in Genesis. So right at the very beginning uh, of the Bible. And he speaks Uh, In verse 24, which we'll read in a second, he says that these things are to be taken figuratively. So that's what he means by that is that he sees more than their literal meaning. So I don't think he's trying to say the original meaning was intended for that particular point that Paul's writing about, but he's saying there's a strong illustration there that I want to unpack, I want to get across. There's similar themes here. And often we see that with the Bible, similar themes, well, we do with God's Word running through uh, stories of love and trust and hope. And uh, this one used by Paul is very deliberate to persuade the the people of Galatia to actually just cry out to these group of people, wait, take stock. Where you're going is not a good place. What you're listening to is not good. You're not on the right road. This view, this view of God that you have isn't right. You're missing the point. Look to Jesus. So we're going to be doing that. And I wonder, uh, Archie, would you like to be the Bible distributor? Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important role. If you've not got a Bible with you, put your hand up and we'll get a Bible out to you. And if you don't have one at home, uh, we would so love you to have one at home. So you can take that as a wee gift from us. And I believe it's also going to be up on the screen, which is great. So we'll do that. Excellent. And on these Bibles, it's in page 1171. And it's kind of towards the end of your Bible, that kind of far into it there, if you've got a Bible with you. There we go. I didn't bring it on the screen, but these guys work their magic and it's up there as well. And you might have an iPhone as well. You could do that as well. Right, let's read together. Verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. 
But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So we see in this passage the stories of Hagar and Sarah being introduced. And if we go back to, we're just going to very quickly zoom back to uh, Genesis and just have a look at Abraham as well. Abraham being a mighty leader uh, used by God. And uh, we're going to read very, very quickly. We're going to scoot to Genesis 15. And I'm just going to read uh, verse 1 to 6, just to give us a wee bit of context on this. So Genesis 15, 1 to 6. And it says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son is your, who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham is told that he'll have a child with Sarah, his wife. And just to add, to give you a little bit of uh, an extra on that, this guy's pretty ancient. You know, it's, you know it's, it's quite, it could be seen as quite difficult to, to have a child at his age. Now we're going to fast forward to Genesis 16 very, very quickly. Genesis 16, 1 to 4 says this, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram slept with Hagar, the slave woman, not Sarah's wife, and they conceived. Then fast forward to Genesis 18, and I'm just going to read one verse from that. It's a bit later on. The Lord appears to these guys, and she is well past childbearing age, and the Lord tells them in a year's time they'll have a son, and Sarah laughs. In verse 14, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So this passage in Galatians and, and Genesis, and just looking at them different chapters, illustrate Paul's frustrations here. There's two distinct groups, born of the flesh so that's Hagar, the slave woman, and Ishmael, which was the child born uh, from that, through self-sufficiency. I'll go and sort it. When Abraham and Sarah did their own thing. And then born of promise. When God's word to Abraham came to pass. When God said, you will have, you will have a child. You have many. And Sarah gave birth to Isaac. So I want to look at our relationships with God afresh this morning, whether you're exploring, being a veteran, or being a Christian two months, two weeks, two years. Paul draws out a few things uh, in this passage in Galatians that we're called to be full of faith. And there's three things that means, that we guard our actions in restlessness. Secondly, we be aware of holding back and missing out. 
And then thirdly, that Jesus is here to stay. So that's where we're going this morning. So firstly, if we could have uh, guard our actions in times of restlessness. A couple of years ago, uh, I went on a summer holiday to York. How many of us have been to York? It's a nice wee place, eh? It's good. We got a wee holiday cottage and we drove down. And I thought it'd be a good idea to drive. And uh, I planned out the journey the night before. I went onto Google Maps and I seen there was this main route, obviously, to take uh, to York. And there was one route which wasn't mentioned that I carved out myself. <laughs> Just thought, hmm. And then the morning came and I seen that the traffic wasn't too great on this main route. And I got a bit twitchy and a bit uncomfortable. And I thought, hmm, maybe we should go on the route that I devised. Maybe we should give it a wee shot. Uh, so we started on the route and I thought, yes. I've defeated Google Maps. I may send them this route so it can, be, it can be advertised. Maybe I should contact them. They might add it on. Anyway, we avoided the M1 and we proceeded to take the most scenic route possible uh, to York. Every hilly area known to man, every village, every hamlet, every, every nook and cranny on the, way to, on the way to York. We had about three petrol uh, stops, five toilet stops. And that's mainly because Mary was seven months pregnant at the time. Not a good idea. You know, stick to the route. I learned my lesson. But anyway, we got to York. And when we got to York, there was, it was Friday night. There was hundreds of people out because uh, Friday night, people go out to town, uh, hit the nightclubs. And again, I was getting a bit twitchy with the route that we had. So I went a bit off piste and I didn't realize that York is a one-way system. So as you enter York, it's a one-way system. So we proceeded to take about an hour to find the place that we lived, uh, we were going to be staying in in York. Whew, it was an interesting discussion that we had uh, a lot of chat on the, on the journey. Shortcuts in this instance did not go down very well, and it ended us up in more bother. I just remember Mary saying to me specifically, why didn't you just stay on the road given to us? <laughs> and maybe sometimes I can be quite quick to react and get restless and get quite frustrated, uh, see a better way. When it comes to Jesus, he says, no, I am the way. I am the way. Let's cling on and follow him. And it's a journey. It will take time to understand. It will take time to grasp. And it will be blooming difficult at times. But we don't cut corners when wobbles come our way. When Google Maps tells me how to get to York, just follow it. Just go to York. I'll, I'll, next time we do it, I, I know what to do. When God says you'll be a missionary, you'll be a leader, you'll be a doctor. When God says stay put, when God says you'll have children, when God says hold on, when God says trust, in times of restlessness and frustration and being close to taking a shortcut, or dropping it all together, or cutting corners, or think you know best, trust. Get round people that will maybe say to you, what are you doing? Why are you cutting corners? Sometimes we need a shake. And for Abraham and Sarah, they got restless. When I was reading Genesis 16 and verse 2, there was one uh, verse that got me really angry, just kind of raised up something in me, and it was when Sarah said, the Lord has kept me from having children. No, the Lord hasn't kept you from having children. And you can picture the scene, can't you? That, uh, so, Abraham, we're, we're doing it a lot. You know, we're hanging out a lot. We're trying to have a baby. <laughs> it's not really working. I've got this lady here, slave woman. Why don't, we just sleep with, why don't you just sleep with the woman that you see most after me? Quick fix, shortcut, sorted. Needed a friend to say no, to just turn around and say, what are you doing? God spoke to you. Cling on to that. Hold on to that. And for us, on all our sites, in all our journeys with God, we need people 
We need counsel that if we, if we make decisions, that will say, Archie, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why did you decide that? Abby, why did you decide that? Speak me through how you got to that point. It's so important that we, we have that, those discussions and we're family together and we look out for one another. That we're, we have a group of people, two or three people in our lives that are honest with us and will give us a kick up the backside when we need it. And isn't it true that when we don't see something that God has placed on our lives come to fruition within a time period that suits us, we either discount it, we close the door, we roll up our sleeves and see how we can manage it ourselves, see how we can solve it ourselves. Where there's a will, there's a way. We don't worship a God this morning who forgets, who loses interest in us. We worship a God who has a plan. And he is the only way. And for Paul, he just wants to say to this group of people in Galatia, beware of the Judaizers, the doers. And remember that Paul is a Jew. He acknowledges and he appreciates the position of the law and its purpose, but he also understands God's promise. He understands that Jesus had paid all his sin, for all his sins. The debt is paid and that Jesus made a way in that and that we can live in freedom. And that when God speaks, his word stands firm. We just need to hold on to it. And what does that look like for, for us this morning? Maybe we know we've heard from God in a specific area in our lives that we have to step into. And we're still waiting week after week, month after month, year after year. And God just wants to say to you, just stick with me. See it through. It'll be worth it. Don't cut corners. And maybe you've had an opportunity to take a shortcut or lay it down completely. Maybe you're just thinking that, even coming in this morning. You know what? That's maybe not for me anymore. Maybe in this morning, God just wants to remind you and refocus and fill you with excitement and discipline to see it through. That you are right where God wants you to be this morning. Somebody once said, there are no shortcuts to any place worth going. Let's trust in God's timing, his promises, and stir endurance in one another. At small groups, speak about your journey. Speak about what God's placed on your life and get people just to gather around and pray into that. At the end of the service, we have times of prayer. Use those just to seek God with people who know and love you in this church family to stir that. Trust in his perfect plan. Guard your actions in restlessness. Don't make rash decisions. In Proverbs, it speaks about seeking counsel in Proverbs 15, 22. Who are those one or two people uh, in this site that will ask you, how are you doing? No, how are you really doing? Too often we have, uh, how are you doing? Fine, hi, how are you? Hi, fine, good, hi. And then that's us. Who are those people that you can be brutally honest with? I've had a rubbish week. Could you pray for me? Who are those people on our site? Likewise, who are those people when we take a wrong road, where are you going? What, what are you doing, mate? Come on, sit down, speak me through that. Let's pray about it. Identify those people. So guard our actions in time of, times of restlessness. Secondly, be aware of holding back and missing out. The more I read the Bible and the more I journey with God eh, and sussing out this Christianity thing, the more I am amazed. At, we worship this God. Sheer power, sheer power created the universe, created everything but within that, he's deliberately and passionately interested in every part of my life, every part of your life, every part of our lives. Uh, 
excuse my pronunciation here, Christos Yanaris, I think that's quite good. He's a Greek philosopher, and he says this, I love this, the word God defines a personal relation, not an objective concept. Like the name of the beloved in every love, it does not imply separation and distance. Hearing the beloved's name is immediate, an immediate awareness, a dimensionless proximity of presence. It is our life wholly transformed into relation. I love that phrase. God defines personal relationship. It's personal. It's personal. It's not distant and separate. He's interested in us. He's close by. He's with us right now. He's with us in the supermarket, at the school gate, in the workplace, at home, in the hidden places, in our failures, in our successes. But more than that, he doesn't just follow us around like a stray dog. He doesn't just, just behind us. He loves us. He brings us hope and peace, his spirit, his power. Where we feel maybe no one bothers, God does. God loves every single one of us. And he wants to comfort us and cheer us on. And he wants to be with us. I often use uh, these moments to throw out a couple of confessions and quite embarrassing things. Maybe it's things I watch on television, but uh, yeah, I'm going to do one of those right now. And uh, there's a show that myself and Mary once watched called Dating in the Dark. <laughs> Has anybody seen this? No? Three people. We can, ch okay, four people. Uh, it's not the greatest show, like, but I'll explain to you what it is. It's a dating show. does exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, you have a group of people and they sit in the dark and they get to know each other. And then you choose one of these people maybe you've clicked with and you go through into the room again in the dark and you chat. And sometimes they snog each other and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know, in the dark. Anyway, anyway, they get to the point where they choose the person they've clicked with and they have the light reveal. So they have the light reveal and they're standing there and the light comes on and you know, one person might be, oh, okay, I like it, yeah. But often what happens is you see the other person going, ooh. <laughs> but a few things stood out for me as I watched this soul-sapping show. The main thing being I will never get that hour back. But anyway, when I watched the light reveal and seen the disappointment in some of those men and women's faces, it was really awkward. You could see that I don't really like what I'm seeing here. Oh my goodness, I've bared my soul to this person. But it was also quite significant. Because when it comes to Jesus being your friend, when it comes to Jesus being in a personal relationship with you as a comforter, as a counselor, as a friend, he looks at us. If you imagine that light reveal on you, he looks at every single one of us and he loves what he sees. I really believe that's a word for one or two of us. He loves what he sees this morning regardless of what we see. He doesn't want to miss us to miss out on all that he can bring us. Where you feel insecure or you have words that have stuck to you in years growing up that people have spoken over you and that have impacted how you have lived and decisions that you have made in life. Where you see shame and guilt and all the bad stuff that you have done. God is beside you. He sees a beautiful creation. He sees what he has created and he loves you. Fearfully and wonderfully made and I just feel God wants to say that to one or two of us this morning. I am pleased with you. I know you. I love you. Because of my son, Jesus, I can take all that stuff away. Don't miss out anymore. Don't hold back. You know what I'm about. Stir that faith. Step forward. 
And I think that was part of the issue with this group called the Judaizers, that they held themselves back from fully understanding Jesus. And they were missing out. They'd seen their faith as almost atoning themselves for their sin. If you imagine scales, uh-oh, done a bad thing. Uh-oh, there goes another thing. Oh, I said a bad thing about that person. Oh, dear, my attitude stunk with that. You can see the scales going higher and higher. Right, what do I need to do? I need to do more stuff. Okay, right, I'll do this before God. I'll do, you know, it's kind of that. There's that constant tension with this group of people. I must balance the scales before I can come before God. If I do all this stuff, then I'll be acceptable before God. I'm rubbish. I don't like who I am and what I've done. How can I possibly come before God in my dirtiness and in my shame? I need to do, 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 do. They look to God with a checklist instead of a God with outstretched arms, just saying, come on in. Maybe there's some of us who have been Christians for years who still feel that pressure of personally atoning for your sin. Increase the doing. Oh, if I'm mucked up again, I'll need to I'll need to read my Bible for an extra hour now, or I need to give double effort in serving. I need to be on team every week now. That'll sort it out. That'll make me acceptable before God. Or maybe you're racked with guilt and anxiety, illness, depression, and you think, what would God want with me? What would God want with me? Why should I go for prayer? Why should I put my hand up? What, what use am I? Don't hold back this morning. Step on forward. We're all imperfect people loved by a perfect God. And we only need to see that with Jesus and Jesus, with Jesus' time on earth. Time and time again, he hangs out with the down and outs, the no-hopers, the lost, the weary, the lonely, the outcast, the criminals, the sick, the people who muck up, the people who had nothing to give. Yet the Judaizers and us to a degree feel it's a requirement to increase the doing. It's not have a clean first, get everything sorted attitude. It's come as you are. Come as you are this morning. Because when we do that, Jesus bringing his proximity of his presence changes everything. We carry his light, his changing power into situations, and things happen. And I don't want to miss out on that. And I'm sure us, we need to be stirring uh, that. And I hate missing out. I hate missing out. I want to be nosy when it comes to Jesus. What's going on here? I want some of that. They're meeting with God. The Holy Spirit's moving over there. Give me some of that. And while I was praying into that point, I had a picture of uh, an ATM. This is maybe because I used to work in a bank. I don't know. But it came into my mind. An ATM machine came into my mind. And it was spitting out cash. Hundreds and thousands of pounds of cash. And what would be the result of that if we seen that in Inverurie Town Centre? And I'm not going to ask you whether you'd run and, and grab a few notes and go on a bit of a spending spree, but what would be the result of that? Crowds of people would gather around. They'd be grabbing, they'd be stretching, they'd be jumping, they'd be chasing. And I believe that God wants that picture for His church. That His Spirit is here. Don't hold back. Stretch, jump, chase. When you're here on Sundays... When you're in your small groups, when, you're, when you have prayer times, anytime you pray, stretch, jump, chase, open yourself and be expectant. wonder if we could just pray, just follow on that point. Let's just say a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you. Your spirit is here right now. And anything that we are holding back, 
We don't want to anymore. We just want to give all the glory and all our lives to you afresh this morning. It might be tough. It might cost us. But Lord, will you stir in us that we do not want to miss out anymore? Will you instill in our hearts and the way that we live, Lord, in the week ahead and beyond that, that culture of stretching and chasing for you, Father? Fill us up with your spirit. Amen. Amen. So be aware of holding back and missing out. And then just to draw things to a close, remember Jesus is here to stay. And find, what a great way to bring things to a close. This passage in Galatians, by the reference to Genesis, that what we looked at with Abraham and Sarah, shows us that Jesus is here to stay. I have a little sister, and she's three years younger than me. And I remember when we were both at high school, she used to have loads of friends around to the house. <coughs> now, I don't know if it's a, a girl or a, a girl and guy thing, but when I went through my whole six years of high school, probably and two years of primary school, so about eight years in total, I had three or four really solid mates that we journeyed through together. You know, they wouldn't change much. It was kind of the same group of people uh, that we, we kind of journeyed through school with. But when it came to my sister, Every single week should have different people around. So I'd be like, so what happened to that friend that was there last? Oh, that's Chantel. We fell out because she stole my lunch money. And then the following week, so what happened to Lindsay there? Oh, we fell out because uh, she spoke to somebody we didn't like. And then the following week, what happened to Lucy? Oh, she, uh, we, didn't, we just didn't want to hang out with her anymore. So we just got new friends. It was just a constant cycle of people uh, in and around her life. The one great truth about Jesus in this day and age when things come and go, when we're in a disposable, upgradable culture, that he's here to stay. He's here to stay. He's as relevant now as he, as he was 2,000 years ago. And in spite of our rubbish, our bad decisions, he's here to stay. What a great truth. What a great truth. And Abraham knows that. He mucked up. He mucked up. He knew God had spoken to him. He needed to guard his actions in times of restlessness. He tried to solve it himself. It's easy for God to say, you know what, Abraham, forget it. You blew it. I'll find someone else. But no, another chance. I still want to use you. We believe in a God of second chances, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and on and on and on. His grace finds us again and again and again. He's here to stay. And that's why every single week, across five locations in the city and the shire, we want to proclaim his name over this town and this region, because Jesus isn't going anywhere, and we're called to share. We're called to share this good news to people who are outside these walls, who are lost, who are broken, who are not living with the same hope that we have. And when it comes to his mission, we need to remember Jesus is here to stay. So let's guard our actions in restlessness, whatever that looks like for us. When we hold back, we miss out. Let's be stretching. Let's be jumping. Let's be seeking out God's presence and His Spirit. And let's remember that He's here to stay. Why don't we stand?